Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And tonight we're going to break down the Orioles slate of non-roster invitees in spring training this year, including Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo, Samuel Basayo, and other top prospects, as well as some veterans who have been around the league for a few years. And while we talk about this, we're going to each highlight a player that we think you should have a close eye on this spring. But first, uh, as we like to do at the top of all of our episodes, we want to welcome some new members to our Patreon community. And with that, I will turn it over to Bob. Yeah, three new Patreon members. We must be getting closer to baseball. We're getting more patrons and love to see it. Appreciate the support big time. So thank you to Andrew S., to Keel McLaughlin or Kyle. Sorry for the pronunciation, but thank you. And Andrew Robel who is a, an old buddy of mine. We've been talking Orioles baseball for 20 years back on AIM when that was a thing and on Orioles hangout message boards before uh, that became toxic. So thank you for your support as well. And uh, go O's. And before we get into our non-roster invites, you just have to mention we had Anthony Villa, the Orioles player, director of player development on our last episode. If you've not had a chance to listen to that yet, you should go back and listen to it after this episode. It just dropped earlier this week. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you. What were some of your takeaways from that interview? Uh, I just, I love the way, again, he just highlighted the the continuity in the system. I know it's something we've highlighted in the past. It's It's been really fun to just watch not just the players uh, get promoted very quickly and make an impact at the big league level, but we're seeing coaches, we're seeing instructors, you know, we didn't really touch on the major league coaches with him, but you know, we're going to see Mitch Plasmeyer in the major leagues uh, this year on the pitching side of things. Like uh, Anthony Villa himself was a hitting instructor working with all levels of the minor leagues, and now he's director of player development. So it's front office as well. Uh, this organization really just they, they they identify the right people and they put them on the right track, and guys are really and women are really excelling in this organization, and it's just a lot of fun to see, and it's fun to see. I'm genuinely excited about uh, some of the younger prospects as well. It's going to make for a, a fun year in Berlin, I think, from all the way down to the brand new Dominican Academy, all the way up to hopefully the major leagues and a World Series victory. The train doesn't stop. Player development doesn't stop. That elite talent pipeline is not going to stop flowing. Yeah, I mean, we already knew this, but it's just nice to confirm that the Orioles are in good hands as as these guys who we've, like Matt Blood and, and company, they get promoted their replacements were in capable hands. Like they're, they're doing it right. They're hiring guys who are smart, very capable and care about what's going on and love it just as much as we all do. So yeah, it was a great interview. I, uh, a great, great dude. And just, uh, yeah, very excited for this season and every season moving forward. Honestly, this looks like an elite town pipeline that has no end in sight and couldn't be happier. Yeah. And thank you again to Anthony for joining us. That was his first time on our show and hopefully not the last. So we'll get in now to the non-roster invitees this spring, which were announced by the Orioles earlier this week. And it's sort of a typical slate in the sense that you have a lot of catchers, five catchers total getting non-roster invitees, a lot of pitchers, and a mix of some veterans as well as prospects. With the prospects, though, there is some big names to keep an eye on. Kobe Mayo coming off a really, really strong season gets a non-roster invitee, as does Samuel Basayo, who had a huge breakout in 2023. And then Jackson Holiday, the consensus number one overall prospect in the game, 
and a guy that a lot of Orioles fans are clamoring to see in Baltimore on opening day this year. Bob, I'll start with you. When you look at that trio in particular, what jumps out at you? What doesn't? I mean, Samuel Basayo bombs in spring training. Kobe Mayo, who's not just there to take in the experience. He's actually going to be competing for a job on the opening day roster. Same with Jackson Holiday. Was such a surprise last spring that he was invited at all, and then he sticks around so long. And now he's like seriously contending to be the starting second baseman on opening day. So it's just going to be fun to see how long a guy like Basayo sticks around. Um, hopefully he gets a chance to to show what he can do and shine the way Holiday did last year. But it's just going to be awesome to watch these guys just compete and and see what they do with the opportunity and go out there and show what they've improved upon from their amazing 2023 campaigns to get ready for an even better 2024. Yeah, I think we're all going to highlight pitchers later on in here is like guys we're super pumped to see just because on, on the hitting side of things, there's some big names like you guys have mentioned, but the catchers, you need catchers. You need that depth in spring. Obviously Basayo is the standout there, but I almost get the sense that Basayo being up this spring is kind of like going to serve the same purpose that it did for Jackson holiday last year. Just like absorb all you can while you're up here and you're probably going to be up here, hopefully for longer than anticipated, but just absorb everything you can when you're up here because you're probably not going to be in the minor leagues for very long. Um, you know, Holiday obviously still has to earn it, but I think he's going to get every single opportunity to make the opening day roster. I would bet big money that he is on the opening day roster. Um, Mayo, that's going to be exciting as well, obviously, to watch him hit some spring training bombs down there in Florida. I'm still not convinced that he makes the opening day roster, even with a big spring as, as far as the roster is set now, just because I think the Orioles do want to see him get more work in the outfield down in Norfolk. And they're going to use that defense excuse, even at third base to kind of push his rookie status into next year, especially if holiday is up on the major league roster. I'm not saying I agree, but I, I could see that's how the organization handles that with Mayo, but still he's going to get a very long look this spring and have an opportunity to make that opening day roster, which is exciting. Um, as far as the hitters go, I feel bad because Connor Norby is there as well, but we kind of know like Norby's path. The name that there's a name that's not there though that I'm intrigued by, and I don't think he was there last year either. He doesn't get protected in the Rule Five draft, doesn't get selected. He wasn't an invite last year. He's not an invitee this year. Uh, Hudson Haskin still nowhere to be found. Um, I, I, that's an intriguing one to me as well. The guy who's not there. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it makes a little bit of sense. Look, there was really no outfielders invited just because it's so yeah. crowded. And Daniel Johnson is the only guy that gets the invite in the outfield. But yeah, Hudson Haskin, he's got to be thinking, what's a guy got to do to to get some love around here? But uh, maybe stay healthy for one. But that's besides the point. Uh, if I could respectfully disagree with your Kobe Mayo take, I actually think he's going to have a legitimate real chance. He might have to just ball out, but I think if they see enough like improvements from, and they already saw some improvements from when he got to AAA to where he ended. I feel like if there's enough improvements there and he just shows them, look, I'm ready, let's go. I think he could force them to make room for him. I'm not saying that's like the most likely scenario, but I do think that is a possibility. Yeah. When I look at the infielders, 
the fact that you have Ramona Rios and Jorge Mateo on the roster still, uh, and I know I'm opening a can of worms by mentioning that, but it does complicate the path forward uh, for some guys initially. And I think Norby is in that bucket. I actually think that Joey Ortiz getting traded to Milwaukee helps Norby a little bit because that's one less middle infielder in the system. But you still have Ramona Rios and Jordan Westberg ahead of Norby, two right-handed hitters that can play second base. Mateo is also a right-handed hitter. With Holiday, the reason that I think that the opportunity is going to be there is that the Orioles have not gone out and signed a left-handed hitter who can play up the middle this offseason. And that's something they've done the last two offseasons with Adam Frazier and Rudnett Odor. This offseason, they haven't done it. And I don't think it's because they think that there's some strategy behind not having left-handed hitters in here. I think it's just that they're – thought process is that maybe Jackson Holiday is the guy who can fill that role. And if he can't fill it right away, then they wait and see how quickly he can do it. So I do think he's going to get every opportunity in spring training. I do want to get your guys' thoughts on this, though, because it's something that a lot of our listeners bring up, which is he still kind of hits the ball on the ground a little more than what I think you would like to see. What does he have to do offensively? in camp to make it is it hit the ball consistently hard in the air even if the results aren't there or is it just go in and out hit everyone get on base no matter how you do it yeah i think that's it you just got to showcase yourself put yourself in the the best position you can and whether that's to raise your trade value for another team that's watching you do it or if it's just like the Orioles are like he's a man on a mission at least to start the year let's get him up there let's while he's hot let's let's take advantage of it uh, yeah, I don't know. It's tough unless they clear room. I do think that, and I saw this on our Discord, please join, uh, link below if you haven't. But people are saying, you know, Ramon Arias obviously seems like a guy that you can trade for some value now and, and replace him with these young guys. And maybe they will. I think they're holding on to some guys just in case of injuries. So I think you could see some moves late in spring that really opens opens things up for some people, but yeah, Norby, just go out there, ball out, just crush the ball, show you've improved all around the board and, and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. I'm not concerned about the power. I think that's, how, that's going to come. Uh, he's getting bigger and stronger. He's still a teenager that that's going to come. And I, I'm not worried about that Wait, at all. Who are we talking about? I was talking about holiday. Oh shoot. I thought we were talking about Connor Norby. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I was whoever we're talking about. Thing, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's but that's what I was going to bring up too. It's like we're talking about holiday here, but and like this is live, like this is just you now happening as we're recording this. So I I can't wrap my head around it and sit here and try to research it and look into this as we're trying to record a show. Uh, but I think he is a left-handed hitter who plays second, third, short, some outfield. Um, I don't know. He's got some experience with Philly. He's got some experience with Detroit. I mean, he's a 208 career hitter in the major league level, but uh, you know, you look at Ryan O'Hearn, you look at Adam Frazier last year. Uh, I, I was, we're so close to pitchers and catchers reporting and spring training games starting. I thought we were in the clear there for the Orioles bringing in the, you know, the Odor Frazier uh, replacement, but it looks like they have brought that in. And, and Nick Maton, any initial concern there with, with him? or just depth. I feel like it's another Tyler Nevin move. Like 
I think this is just what the Orioles feel like they have to do when these guys are get designated for assignment. They feel like a player is not going to make it to them, but they're they're interested, so they're like, "Hey, how about ten thousand dollars for him so we can skip the line?" I think it's like that. I think he'll eventually be waived by us again, and hopefully, just like uh, Luan Diaz, will make it through and uh, be Triple A depth. That's that's the hope for me, anyway. My initial reaction, because it does look like, and I don't think this has been confirmed yet, and mind you, we're recording this on Wednesday night right after the move happened. It looks like he's getting a 40-man roster spot, which to me kind of indicates that maybe this is an insurance policy in case Holiday doesn't play well in camp. I don't think that he's going to block Holiday by any means, uh, because I think we know that the upside with Jackson Holiday making the opening day roster is higher than it is with Nick Maton for a variety of reasons. But if Holiday doesn't work out and you've got that roster spot to fill, Maton is a logical guy to fill that with. Now, if Holiday does go in and have a big camp and gets the spot, then like Bob said, hopefully you're able to sneak Maton through waivers and he goes to AAA and he's depth for you because as we saw last year, there is a lot of benefit in having those kind of players get everyday opportunities in Norfolk. You're going to play better. You're going to have a better team on the field. You're going to be able to ease in your younger players more. So Daniel Johnson, going back to non-roster invitees, is another guy who fits that mold. He's not going to make the opening day roster, but he'll make Norfolk's roster, and he'll make Norfolk's roster better. Yeah. The, the only thing that I, I would be – concerned about not concerned about but worried is like how many rookies do you think the Orioles are going to like put on this 26-man roster and give regular playing time to they're all fantastic rookies they all could but like Colton Kowser obviously we still he still needs to prove it at the major league level Kerstad still needs to prove it at the major league level Holiday still can't drink a beer at a bar legally and Mayo he's still incredibly young as well and it seems like they they're going to want to move him around defensively to get that bat in the lineup. When you're wanting to compete in the AL East and you've got, we, we kind of joked with uh, Anthony there earlier about the, all the projection systems, putting Baltimore at third in the division this year. I do wonder how many rookies are they going to want to put on this opening day roster? That, that would be the hesitation I think with, with some of these guys. But. That is a very real <laughs> question. Too real. Um, yeah, you would think maybe no more than two at a time, at least in the past. But I wonder if because our rotation should be super strong, you would imagine that the pitching should be a a plus this year. And if you look at the schedule, <laughs> the first six weeks of the season look pretty nice for the Orioles, pretty weak as far as the opposition goes. So if you're going to say, hey, let's just get it over with, let's do it, we can – we can compact these learning experience, these, uh, you know, that first, just like Gunner had that first four to six week slump. And it seems like a lot of prospects do, a lot of players do. Maybe you just want to get that out of the way during the weakest part of the schedule when you have the pitching to maybe overcome it and, and see what happens. But yeah, I think most likely it's like two, maybe three, if you want to stretch it. But who knows? They've surprised us before. Let's turn our attention now to the guys that, we have our eyes on as Nick mentioned towards the top of the show. It is heavy on pitchers. And I'll start with Bob because although it said pick one, Bob picks three. <laughs> so there's a lot to, to get into here. 
So, Bob, uh, you've picked a, an interesting mix of players. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about them? Guilty as charged, but I do have a reason for this. <laughs> um, I picked the, the slash, that's one, um, Nate Webb slash Ronald Guzman slash Tucker Davidson. I did that because I think just like, I mean, obviously, Yannir Cano didn't make the roster out of opening day, but it wasn't very long after. I feel like there's going to be a guy that just pops in spring training and comes out of kind of nowhere. And it's like, whoa, who is this? Why are, you know, why are they like seven scoreless innings with 15 strikeouts this spring? And I feel like one of these guys is going to make the team out of spring training and be like a weapon we didn't know we had. I feel like that's happened the last three or four years with the Orioles uh, and these waiver claims slash non-roster invitees. And I think also, Zach, your pick is along the same lines. That at least is a name that we're familiar with. So like Nate Webb, I know he's coming off an injury. He was with the Royals, right? I think he was with the Royals. Decent prospect. Could pump that fastball up to close to triple digits. Just think if he's healthy and he's dealing, maybe that's someone. Ronald Guzman's very similar, but from the left side, he's a position player prospect. Switched to pitching and from the left side can get the ball up to 100 miles per hour. Doesn't really know where it's going, but we've seen the Orioles improve command. So maybe... You know, he's out of options, so he's either going to have to go through – wait, I don't know. He's a non-roster. If he, he has no options, so we'll see what happens with him. But I don't know where, where I'm going with that. But uh, And then Tucker Davidson's a, a very interesting one. I know we talked about him a little bit because that was like that first offseason move that the Orioles <laughs> tend to make, like with uh, Joey Crable back in the day. And I, I forget some other uh, – Ryan O'Hearn last year. But I feel like – his splitter, like he's got a decent pitch mix, especially he's started in the past. But as a, as a reliever, I feel like, you know, you traded Deal Hall. Obviously, Tucker Davidson is not Deal Hall. But if you wanted a lefty that could maybe get some outs late in games, I think maybe Tucker Davidson becomes that guy. We'll see. But I'm betting that one of these three guys is going to break out in camp. Yeah, I like – I was trying to look at Webb. Is he a le- he's a righty. Okay, that – eliminates the point i was going to make uh but still davidson and guzman being lefties i, I think it's it is kind of just who's the guy he, he pitched for vmi it was andy Costco's boy last year uh in spring training that reliever reed I'm, garrett yeah reed garrett or I and mean, then the other one too yeah but yeah yeah you give these guys time in spring and then you send them down to norfolk where they pass through waivers when that really hectic time when teams are reshuffling their rosters and getting their 26 man straight, you kind of shove these guys through waivers and hope nobody notices because there's so much chaos going on. You send them down to Norfolk and then, you know, you, you bring them up and they come and if they show you something good in triple a or in, in the big leagues this spring, you bring them up for a week or two, if there's an injury or you need some innings when your know, arms are getting tired in the bullpen and maybe like that's their only appearance. And then you, try to DFA them again to get them off the roster, but they get claimed and they move on. Like it's going to happen to three, four or five guys this year, but it's cool to see these lefties. I'm more intrigued by Ronald Guzman just because we've never seen him do it. And so he is a lefty. He reportedly, he was a first baseman uh, in other organizations and he's converted to pitcher. Orioles went heavy this offseason and, uh, converted pitchers uh that minor league kid from yukon they signed earlier he's not coming to spring training he's going to rookie ball but still multiple guys that they signed like this it's cool to see that 
he's a lefty. He's throwing 96 miles an hour as a lefty. He's got a slider. He's got a changeup. He was with the Giants last year and was going to pitch with them, but the injury happened and he ended up missing pretty much the whole year and then got released. I mean, it's a no risk. I'm not going to say high reward, but some sort of reward signing for the Orioles. You bring him in in spring, see what he can do on the mound. If he doesn't work out, you cut him, you move on, or you throw him in Norfolk and say, see what you can do down there. And if it's not working out, you cut him, you move on. Guys like that, it's it's fun to see who among these flyers maybe sticks out and gives us some valuable innings at some point this year in the bullpen when, when we need that extra help. I find Davidson interesting because his strikeout numbers in the minor leagues have generally been good. It hasn't really carried over the major leagues, but the strikeout numbers in the minor leagues have generally been good. He was with the Braves when Drew French was there, so there was that connection built into it. But Guzman, I feel like good or bad, his spring training outings are going to be must-see whatever we have, whether it's TV or radio where we have to watch a little dots move around on game day. Whatever it is, it's going to be must-see because hasn't pitched, really hasn't pitched much at all. Former first baseman who's apparently throwing high 90s, can hit triple digits. That's going to be fun to watch either way. Yeah, and I feel like he's almost the left-handed version of, of the guy you're going to talk about that was coming into spring training last year where it's like, all right, <laughs> let's see. And then obviously we'll get into that. But yeah. you will talk about seeing these guys. I'm saying C as well, but we know we're going to get two spring training games. So we ain't going to see much of anything this spring, <laughs> which is downside to all of this. But sorry yeah, to can, kill the vibe can, there. Can we uh, hurry up the, the Rubenstein uh, ownership takeover? I know I saw today that, you know, it could be done in six weeks, which would be before opening day. But how about before spring training even gets started so we can see some games? Uh, I'll transition to my guy since Bob touched on it. And. I'm going with Wandison Charles. Charles um, was someone that this time last year we were kind of intrigued by because he had just been signed from the A's as a free agent and had terrible numbers at double A in 2022. But he could throw upper 90s consistently. The problem was he had no clue where it was going. He goes to Bowie to start last season as absolutely dominant gets promoted to Norfolk and really struggles there. But then as the year went on, seemed to get a little bit better. And the Orioles saw enough that after Charles became a minor league free agent earlier this offseason, they brought him back and are giving him a non-roster invitee spot. I don't see him as the guy who makes the opening day roster. I think a lot of things would have to break his way in order for that to happen. But just as someone who could go back to Norfolk and be a good depth option that you know you're going to need in a bullpen, because no matter how good you think your bullpen is coming to this, into the season, there's going to be a spot that opens up you don't expect. Charles last year, between the two levels, 45 and a third innings pits, struck out 66 batters, walked 33, which is still pretty high, and his walks at Norfolk were high. But it, We've seen the Orioles do this before with guys who can throw hard but have command issues. Felix Bautista is the you know, perfect test, kit, test example of that. But we've seen the Orioles do this before. And Charles, I think it's conceivable that he could get a roster spot at the major league level in June maybe and never look back. 
especially if the Orioles were able to ease him in where he's not pitching in high-leverage situations right away because he's got the stuff to do it. He's got the stuff to be a shutdown reliever. It's just that in the course of his career, which has had a few disruptions, he hasn't really been able to put the command together. But if he does, look out. Yeah, what a roller coaster our journey with Wanderson because when he was signed as a minor league free agent last year, coming into spring, it was like, who's this guy that had like a 9.6 ERA and double A that walked more batters than innings pitched? And and then we started dreaming on him after we saw what he could do. We saw a video of him. We just saw the stuff. And then he elects free agency, and it's like, oh, man, I really wanted to see what the Orioles could do, could do to continue working with him. And then I was so pumped when uh, I think it was reported that we signed him back to a minor league deal and, and got him back. So very excited to see what he can do. Yeah, hopefully he just can continue to to learn with the Orioles pitching development. He'll at least have Chris Holt to work with now. That could help. Um, the roving instructor that's no longer the pitching coach for the Orioles. Yeah, I think he will start at AAA Norfolk. But like you said, he could be this year's Unia Cano where there's like, oh, and there's an injury or or a guy who has an option, even though there's not many that's struggling, that goes down to AAA and let's give Juanis and Charles a chance. And then he like strikes out the side to save the game like Cano did, whatever his dramatic entrance into the majors was last year. And then, like you said, he never looks back and then he's just continues to uh, grow his role in the major league bullpen. So he could flame out. No problem in 2024, and we never hear from him again. But we, he could also be a guy that's like, all right, now this is a guy who's going to be in the Orioles bullpen for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, there's clear, clearly no denying that the Orioles unlocked something with Charles because looking at his numbers again, uh, Bob was very uh, lenient on the ERA there. It was an 11.43 ERA. <laughs> And uh, imagine, imagine saying this guy's got an area of nine and you're being way off. Uh, that's how bad it was for Charles. 11.43 ERA. I know we've ran these numbers a billion times on this show, but they're mind-boggling. A 350 average against and a 2.57 whip in AA when he was with Oakland. But when he came over to Bowie, he had a 2.35 ERA, a 127 average against, and a 0.78 whip. Goes up to Norfolk, and I'm doing quick math here, so fact check me. He struck out about 30% of hitters in Norfolk. Fangraphs told me that. You don't have to fact check that one. But 30% strikeout rate in Norfolk. The walks did spike again. I do think you can attribute some of that to the ABS system, the automatic ball strike system. I'm not going to put all the blame there, but we've talked about that with guys like Ryan Watson and some others. I do think that's a factor with guys. But 53% of the runs he allowed in Norfolk came in just three outings and he made 28 appearances for Norfolk. So he had 13 outings that went at least an inning where he did not allow a run. So yeah, the walks still an issue, but I think he was pretty good uh, when he was with Norfolk. I don't know if he's going to be the savior. If like Craig Kimbrell starts faltering, but I do think he's a really fun option to have in AAA. And clearly like you guys have mentioned, the Orioles liked what he was able to do last year because they re-signed him to a minor league deal this year. If they didn't like him, they could have just let him walk and find someone else to fill that AAA depth role. There are like 200 people they could have signed to fill that role, but they brought Charles back. So good. I'm excited to see him in spring, see what he can do. So with that, we'll go to the next guy who's someone we've talked about a lot on this show, but I think we need to start talking about him a little bit more because 
it's starting to look like in a not too distant future, maybe he's an option for this major league pitching staff. Yeah, one of my favorite guys in the system, to be honest. I want to see what Justin Arbrister can do. He, I think he's out to prove a lot of people wrong. I don't remember if he told this story live when he was on our show. Was that last year? Uh, or if it was we were just talking with him off air. But it was his brother, who is also a pitcher. He pitches for Arizona State, or at least he did. He might have graduated by now. But he saw our tweet poking fun at Keith Law. Uh, don't say his name too many times, he'll hear us. Uh, but calling Arm Brewster just an org guy after watching him for like five pitches. And now that's like a family thing, like a family joke. It's like they all tweet like hashtag J-A-O-G. And I could never figure out what that meant. I'm like, okay, is this like their, I don't know, their agency or something? I don't know. They, these minor league agents got some weird things going on. But no, it's just an org guy. And I'm like, why did that never click with me? I love it. I love that it's a family thing now as well. But like, on the mound, he's legitimately, he's got st- he's got good spin on his fastball, near elite induced vertical break. So you're talking about the hoppy fastball that's very effective up in the zone. He gets good swing and miss, good chase rates. I mean, just looking at his fastball, it doesn't have the velo. I will say that. Like it's what, 92, 93. I think it's fair to want more there with the velo. It's not a Kyle Bronovich fastball though. So, but it's also not a Grayson Rodriguez fastball. The slider's kind of in the same boat. I think it has good traits. Triple A hitters chased it, but I think it's right there on the border of like, it's right there on the border of being a great hire. And he's got some other pitches in the tool belt as well. I don't think any of his tools are super loud and I don't think he has a standout weapon, but I do think the fastball slider are good enough to help him in the major leagues, at least in a major league bullpen. And I do think we see him in the major leagues at some point. And I'm pretty stoked to see what he can do this spring. Cause I don't, I don't think, I don't know how much he pitched last spring, but I don't think it was very much if, if at all, maybe some minor league time, but I'm excited to see him in spring. Yeah. I think this is a good pick. I think he's definitely underrated in the Orioles fandom. <laughs> you know, I don't think any Orioles fans are calling him just an or guy anymore, but I think some guys, some fans, see his name and they're like yeah he's he's a solid option if all else fails i don't know like he was a workhorse down the stretch of that triple a season going six seven eight innings um i think he could easily be dean kramer's replacement if uh you know once he hits arb and gets expensive well if john angelus was still around he could be (laughs) dean kramer's uh replacement as soon as he got expensive just because i think he could be an innings eater in the back end of a major league rotation easily Uh, i think you know whether that's he gets traded because a a team sees that value that he could provide like very soon or if like you said that fastball slider combination could look really good in a bullpen and his velocity could play up a little bit yeah I, i i'm excited to see him get some starts in spring training and and let him get a chance to to go into triple a this year fresh start second time around and just pitch for a, a shot in the majors and I, I think he deserves it. He'll get it this year at some point or another. And uh, yeah, excited to see Mr. Armbruster. I thought that it spoke volumes about Armbruster, the way that he was able to make that jump from double A AA to triple A last year, because we have talked at nauseum by now about how tough that was for pitchers last year because of the automated ball strike system and a lot of the other things that were in play. The fact that, when you look at the international league collectively, it was much more of a hitter's league last year than it has been in the past. 
Arm Brewster's walk numbers in that context, I think, were actually pretty good at Norfolk. And they were inflated a little bit by one outing in particular towards the end of the year against Memphis, five walks over six innings pitched. But overall, his command at Norfolk, I thought, was fairly sharp. He was striking guys out. And I agree with both of you that there's not one pitch in that arsenal that really jumps out at you. But collectively, he has a lot to work with. And I don't really think the conversation with Arm Brewster is just, you know, is he a big leaguer? Can he stick on a big league roster? I think it's, is he a starter down the line? And he hasn't shown anything yet to make me believe that that's not possible. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does this year. There are some years when he is Jeremy Guthrie and he's the Orioles ace. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Like I could see that in his future where that's the, he could be, you know, perfect for a back end of a rotation, but if he's on a bad team, I feel like he's, he's almost like a, a Bud Norris. I don't know. Just a guy that can go out there and give you those innings. Yeah. It might be like a low to mid fours, maybe even high fours ERA, but he's going to eat those innings up and he's going to be valuable and he'll be even better out of the bullpen if that's where he ends up. I mean, a four seven ERA in AAA last year, like Zach touched on there, that, that was league average below league average. Even I forget. I mentioned those numbers earlier. I pulled them up a couple weeks ago. I think that was below league average ERA. Um, zips zips kinds of kinds of kind of likes him uh, too many S's there. 106 innings. Again, projections take them for what they are, especially for a rookie who has no major league experience, but 106 innings, a 4.67 ERA, 0.8 F4. Yeah, if he gives us that this year, uh, I think that's hopefully we don't need him to make 22 starts at the major league level this year. Uh, But I I don't know. I think he does have the stuff to kind of survive there in the major leagues and not just survive, but be effective as well. I do think he is a bit of a sleeper. But when you also have guys, you go back to that Norfolk rotation last year and two other guys who are invited to Major League Spring Training and Chase McDermott and Kate Povich, higher ceilings. I mean, John Mioli put Arm Brewster at number 24 on Baseball America's recent top 30 update for this year. This is a legitimate starting pitching prospect as well. He's right up there with Povich and McDermott. Maybe McDermott and Povich have higher ceilings, but Arm Brewster's no slouch himself on the mound. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this year. That does it for this week's episode of Orioles on the Verge. We will be back next week at a special night as we will be on Tuesday and joined by Danielle Allentuck and Andy Koska of the Baltimore Banner. Andy, Danielle, and their colleagues over the Banner have done some terrific work this offseason, and we're going to recap that while previewing spring training and the regular season for the Orioles. You won't want to miss that. In the meantime, check us out on social media. You can find us over at Facebook, Instagram, Threads, X, TikTok, and YouTube. And while you're browsing around the internet, head over to oriolesontheverge.substack.com and subscribe where you can to get access to our written coverage. You can also find us over at Patreon. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge, part of the Believe Podcast Network. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.